Most property buyers and real estate agents, for that matter, would have no idea what goes on behind the scenes between signing a contract and settling on a property. A quiet revolution started a few years back when the whole process began the move to digital. Before then, we'd often hear of settlements delayed because, can you believe it, the bank had lost the paperwork. A company called PEXA has led the way in this space and today we're keen to understand the improvements that have been made to the process, the challenges in stitching together banks, governments and conveyancing practitioners in every state and territory, the surprising obstacles, yes, it appears a few elephants have made their presence felt, and the market insights that can be derived through the data that is now available as a result of this platform being used at scale. Many buyers probably wouldn't be aware, but in the paper uh, world, Often your interest being registered on title wouldn't happen for some time after settlement. So you as a new buyer might not be registered for weeks till after settlement. However, in the digital world, it happens you know, within minutes you are registered as a new owner. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as down Download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au We're joined today by PEX's Chief Customer Officer, Lisa Dowie. As a senior leader in financial and information technology industries, Lisa's played an active role in assisting the market's transition to the digital era of property settlement. She advocates for lawyers and conveyances across Australia who represent home buyers and sellers supporting them with critical property services. Since buyers often have no idea how settlement actually comes about, we felt it was a good opportunity to discuss why your choice of property lawyer or conveyancer needs to take into account their ability to operate digitally. Thank you very much for joining us today, Lisa. Thank you, Veronica and Chris, for having me. I'm excited to join. I have to probably declare I am a bit of a property enthusiast. I am, like many Australians, I think I, I love property. I uh, am a part-time property investor. And as you've uh, rightly called out, I do work within the industry at Texeter, which is Property Exchange Australia. This does tend to happen that people get attracted to the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Lisa. Um, really appreciate your time. I mean, for our listeners, what's what's the elevator pitch for Pexa? Like, what is it and how does it actually work and how does it kind of transform the industry? Good question. One I get often asked, particularly at barbecues, you know, you go to meet people and you talk about what you do for a job. And often when you talk about property settlements, people aren't always that familiar with how it works and what improvements have been introduced. So I guess at a snapshot, what we've done is we have digitized the property settlement process. So basically we've taken an old paper-based settlement process where previously banks and lawyers would all meet up in various settlement rooms across Australia, which for me seems hard to actually think about now, but they would meet up to physically exchange yeah. documents and checks. And so we've replaced that with a really simple online system that those same people use and they meet in what we sort of call a digital workspace. And in most instances, that means that simultaneously we complete lodgement with the land registries across Australia and then disperse those settlement funds uh, quite instantaneously to uh the seller so what i mean so obviously you just highlighted one of the big benefits of a 
digital sort of settlement is all the parties don't need to get in a room and, you know, swap paper and kind of go on with their day. I mean, that's a huge time saver. What are some of the massive other big benefits that you see for the conveyancing sort of industry? Yeah, so definitely it's the transparency that the process provides. So previously people would meet up on the day of settlement and Mm. often they would discover there was discrepancies in some of the documentation. Perhaps there was a mismatch on figures. Something might not have been signed correctly. So then settlement would have to be, you know, cancelled, pulled off. People have to go away and rectify things and then come back and settle at a later point in time. So all those checks and balances are completed in the lead up to settlement. So once you get to the day of settlement, that settlement will proceed. So it's a lot more efficient, obviously safe because paper can be uh, prone to errors and risks. So the digital environment does provide a yeah. great, greater level of security. And I guess we touched on one. So for the seller, access to their funds a lot quicker. They don't have to wait for bank checks to clear mm. like you previously would, which is a, you know, based on the property values these days, that's a huge benefit. Yeah. And I guess um, for the buyer, it's really around certainty. Many buyers probably wouldn't be aware, but in the paper uh, world, often your interest being registered on title wouldn't happen for some time after settlement. So you as a new buyer might not be registered for weeks till after settlement. However, in the digital world, it happens, you know, within minutes you are registered as a new owner. So a lot more certainty from that regard. You highlighted the first one there around, uh, you know, the issues on the day, uh, getting reduced because, you know, some of those issues are sorted out prior and I guess uh, any kind of discrepancies are kind of found out and like, oh, actually, I'm going to fix that. Has that meant that the amount of, uh, I guess, settlements that are getting delayed has reduced? Have you got any evidence to kind of show that, you know, more settlements are happening on the day as planned? Yeah, definitely. We know that day of settlements has improved greatly. Previously, it was around 25% would settlements would fall over on the day wow. due to error. We know that that's now long, no longer the case. Settlements happen when participants want them to happen on that day now. So it's a real big benefit that we've seen. That's phenomenal because, I mean, and certainly I haven't been as, as uh, exposed to it, I guess, as a buyer's agent, but when I was a sales agent, the amount of settlements that were disrupted or delayed oh, yeah. were mm. phenomenal. And, and um, But 25% is higher than I expected. But, I mean, I, I remember stories of, of vendors and buyers that were left, you know, particularly with simultaneous uh, settlements mm-hmm. where yeah. you've got basically somebody's entire house in a truck in between two houses, you know, waiting for settlement to land so that they could actually go and get the keys and then move into the new place. And then the amount of times where that truck would just have to go and get parked somewhere because with all their stuff in it and they have to go and stay in a hotel because settlement had fallen over. It's so risky and I don't even know if they'd been properly advised before they even got themselves in that pickle. Yeah, agree. And I guess it's not even just the financial cost that is incurred when those delays happen, but it's the emotional and the the stress that it puts on people. I mean, it's the biggest investment most people ever make in their lives. There's a lot of emotion attached to it. So I think, you know, those um, emotional levels of stress and the impact that those delays cause is really can be underestimated until you actually experience it yourself. There's so many parties involved, right? That's the difficult thing with a transaction it's not you know the buyer straight to the seller you've got a bank involved you've got two legal representatives um you know the list the real estate agent you know there's all these parties and um they've all got to do certain things prior to the settlement to make sure it happens right and you know even if one of them doesn't do their job then 
you know, things can get delayed and the, the, the person buying the house is the kind of the one who deals with all the stress of it all, really. Well, there's also money going in all different directions, isn't there? You know, you've got money going to the agent, money going to various disbursements, money going to the lawyer, money going to the yeah. the bank, money going to the vendor, you know. So that in itself and then you've got and then the, all the calculations on the day of settlement, with you know, the adjustments for rates and, you know yeah. what I mean, it's actually quite complicated and, and often people don't sort of think those things through. They just think they're buying a house or an apartment. Yeah, it's an extremely complex scenario. I mean, I must admit before I, I remember when I bought my first property uh, way back, I won't say how many years ago it was, but I remember um, once I had sort of my finance and everything mm. approved and the real estate agent said to me, you know, so who are you going to get to sort of manage the settlement? And I remember thinking, what? Doesn't, doesn't the bank just take care of that? I didn't even realise yeah. at that point in time. And I even remember going into uh, the lawyer's office that I dealt with at that particular time, obviously well before Pex, and I remember walking in and they were just mounds and mounds of paper all around this office. It was basically a little pathway to get through the paper. I remember sitting there at the time thinking, wow, this is a crazy process, the amount that's involved, the complexities, paper, the amount of running around I remember that I had to do to get checks and what have you for all the different mm. parties. Yeah, little did I know that I'd end up working at an organisation that ends up digitising and taking away <laughs> a lot of that stress, a lot of the, uh, the uncertainty, but also just not having transparency about what's actually occurring and what I need to do to ensure that that settlement goes ahead smoothly. So what's involved in the digital process? I mean, I would imagine every state and territory has its own legislation, right? You've got banks mm. and then you've got to get every lender, in, you know, on board, right? And then you've got to get lawyers and conveyances, solicitors, you know, using it. How do you, I mean, what has been involved in getting that up and yeah, running? I have to say it's been a huge uh, behavioural shift, you know, to change yeah. long ingrained process. I mean, property had been settled in Australia for 150 years the same way, particularly with little innovation that happened along the way. Yeah. So to get a whole industry with all those parties that you've talked about, lawyers, conveyances, banks, also the land registries, the state revenue offices, and we've also connected with the Reserve Bank of Australia. So really big players within the Australian market, getting them to all change what they needed to change at the same time to enable this shift was was really huge. It was done by state, by state and it's probably worth mm. uh, your listeners knowing the states that were actually live in because we haven't fully uh, transitioned the whole of the country yet, but very close to. So Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and Western Australia are all live using our platform. Yeah. And about 75% of all property transactions happen on the PEXA platform at the moment. Excitingly, ACT is the next state, so they are due to come online uh, in September this year. And we're definitely committed to getting Tasmania and Northern Territory on our roadmap too. So we are committed to 100% uh, digital strategy right across Australia. So I think that's important for your listeners to know. I'm and curious about. I'm curious about the priority there. Who set the agenda in, or the the ranking, or the order? Um, is it the states and territories putting up their hands, saying yes, we want to be part of this, or is it um, driven by you guys? Well, it's pretty, a bit of a background story, I guess, how PEXA came about. It was out of a COAG initiative, one of the most successful COAG initiatives, I think, that was actually got off the ground and delivered. And as part of that COAG initiative, initially four states actually bought in as original investors into PEXA back in the early days. So 
New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria and WA. So they also they were bought in before, you know, the platform was even built because they could recognise that there was some huge uh, benefits for the Australian economy in having a national platform such as TEXA. Mm. So, and then we definitely had to liaise and consult because each state had to make changes on their own side to make the technology, you know, integrated and work. So it was very much based upon each state's priorities when they were able to come on board, how that worked. And so it was a real coordinated approach for how the, the priorities were set. But obviously the states that invested early were very keen to get on board early as well. And where's been the greatest resistance? Um, look, I don't think there has been any great resistance. It's really been around, I guess, we had to work really hard with the lawyers and conveyances across Australia. And I don't think it's about resistance. It's just that there are so many of them. There is in excess yeah. of 10,000 firms across the country. And the nature of the transaction requires all four parties to be in the PEXA platform and enabled and ready to transact. So getting that large-scale network up and running, training them, helping yeah. them, ensuring they felt supported because, you know, it's a real big shift for people to make. Um, you're dealing with huge sums of money, so there is always concern about changing your processes and how you deal yeah, with that within sure. your business. So our approach to that, though, was really around supporting. We deployed a field force of people to go out and help lawyers and conveyances learn how to use the platform hold their hands for their initial transactions until they felt confident and able to use the platform themselves. Yeah, because, I mean, generally speaking, people don't really like change. Is there, have, do you think that there have been any that have decided, so they're getting close to retirement, they just decided, oh, look, this is time to hang my boots up? Yeah, you'd be, I'd be surprised. I heard so many comments. I've spent the last four years, five years really, working with lawyers and conveyances across Australia and we did a lot of, you know, big presentations to rooms full of lawyers and conveyances. And initially I did hear some of those comments, but I think that's a bit of the change cycle that humans go through. You sort of there's mm -hmm. initial resistance, mm. then you become a little bit more curious and want to learn a little bit more about what is this change understanding how it's going to impact you personally. But I have seen time and time again that any of those people that initially thought, oh, this is not quite for me, have, yeah. you know, they do a 180. Once they get comfortable, once that fear and that, you know, the worry about what could go wrong is sort of they learn through practice. That's not actually something they need to worry about. You see that they become some of the biggest advocates of the platform in the end. So, so COVID's been a bit of a... Um you know, a change for all of us, I guess, and the way that we all do business. Um, how has that sort of play? I mean, has it been a major benefit, I guess, for enabling PEXA, I guess, to go even more digital? And has it kind of proven how the power, the platform's so powerful, I guess? Yeah, it certainly has. I think uh, what COVID has done is it has highlighted, I think, the fragility of paper-based processes. But yeah. at the same time, it really has shone a spotlight on the advantages of being digital and the agility that that provides, particularly in this industry. So because the country is in sort of different states of maturity, we did have uh, South Australia at the time when COVID hit, were doing about 30% of their property transactions via PEXA. Yeah. And what happens in Adelaide is traditionally, um, you know, majority of their transactions all uh, happen at a settlement room in Adelaide CBD. So everybody goes in there between 11 and 2 p.m. every day to do their property settlements. 
yeah. with COVID, they made a decision to close that settlement room. So we saw a really swift uptake where the market went from about, you know, that 30% yeah. mark to 80% in a matter of weeks. <laughs> wow. So that uh, definitely, you know, is something that we saw during COVID. And we're seeing a little bit similar in Queensland as well. That's one of our other less mature states. And they are also have, we've seen an increased uptake in Queensland over recent months. It's interesting you say Queensland because they were one of the original investors. So you haven't seen the the adoption as as strong as say in New South Wales and Victoria. Hasn't been as strong, no. And I think um, a lot of that comes down to sort of the alignment of processes in each state and also some of the legislation and rules that the various land registries set out. Yeah. A lot of states actually, you know, recognise that they wanted to have paper and digital settlements have sort of the equal rules so that one wasn't easier or harder than the other, which make, made it easier for practitioners to make the change. However, in Queensland... That's we insane, necessarily- isn't it? <laughs> well, I think they wanted to make sure that paper transactions obviously weren't easier than doing a, you know, an electronic settlement because mm. you're looking for barriers for change. You want to try and remove as much of those as possible. Mm. And Queensland still has a few things in place where I guess from a practitioner's point of view, a lawyer, you could think that, oh, it's just easier if I do it in paper because I don't have to do as many checks or do as many forms, et cetera, that I might need to do to, like, to verify the identity of my client um, and have a client authority form signed, et cetera. So that's one of the obstacles that we are overcoming. And also Queensland doesn't have any conveyances. They have all lawyers. Yeah, conveyances aren't recognised in Queensland. And what we certainly saw in many other states was that I believe conveyances, it's their bread and butter, what they do around property transactions. So they were keen to be part of the change. They were our early adopters. Whereas, as you would know, law firms have multidiscipline practices within their firms and property might only be a, a smaller part. So it's not sort of top of mind for many law firms in Queensland as well. Which is actually that's quite interesting because, you know, one of the things that we recommend um, people do is always use a property specialist. So if they're going to use a lawyer, you know, don't go to your local generalist. And I guess this is an interesting um, issue because I imagine this, what sort of incentive is there for just a local generalist that does a little bit of everything to take the time and I presume there's money involved in them coming on the platform as well you know it's quite a bit of a hurdle right so it is going to weed out some of the people that probably have been conveyancing or doing conveyancing work that potentially shouldn't have been uh potentially i think it will probably create more of those specialists and you may see Mm. some of those firms like family law firms for example or immigration lawyers probably not do those property transactions and you know just stop offering that service and let the professionals as you said who specialising property, which I think is great for the industry if that occurs. Yeah. So on the actual transaction side, so the seller and the buyer, what are some of the things you, you know, because the whole process is getting digitalised, all the bank mortgages, the mortgage document, um, et cetera, even just the whole lodgement at banks for the finance side. Do you kind of foresee that we could see, you know, much faster settlements in a few years' time? Um you know, could you see, you know, two-week settlements, et cetera? Do you, do you see that's where things like PEXA are going to enable things to get much faster? Yeah, I think PEXA does uh, provide the ability for that to occur. I think a lot of that then depends upon the industry. I mean, we know, we can see instances as far as the PEXA platform is concerned, 
sometimes things outside of PEXA happen the way they might happen and we can get a settlement into our platform, you know, two days ahead of settlement and the settlement can occur. That's obviously not an ideal scenario, but there are yeah. situations where things come <laughs> about late. So from a technology and a platform point of view, absolutely we can facilitate that. I think a lot of it depends upon the industry, but personally I'm of the view that I think over the years to come we will see those settlement uh, durations reduce over time. But what is it that holds up settlement? Because I've always thought it was the banks. Look, yeah, it's a combination of things. And I think um, that might be something if you've spoken to a lawyer or conveyancer you've heard, I think banks would (laughs) probably say the same about (laughs) lawyers and conveyances. But I think often the holdups can be around, and I think this is where probably buyers and sellers can contribute to, is just around the amount of document, even though PEXA is a digital platform, there are still documents that both the banks and the lawyers and conveyances will require to be completed. Getting those back promptly really can be one of the biggest contributors to a settlement being delayed. So I think um, making sure that all those documents that buyers and sellers received are returned as quickly as possible is really, you know, the ultimate goal to ensure that settlement isn't delayed. Yeah, so on that, I mean, you know, Macquarie, for example, not just, you know, we do a lot with them, but, um, you know, they were kind of at the forefront of digitalizing their mortgage process, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've got digital loan docs that are all done via DocuSign and um, now the state government form doesn't need to be printed and signed, you know, wet signature. Um, I think the conveyances had a document for the stamp duty, I think it was, that needed to be signed wet signature. That no longer needs to be signed. Um so I think the the whole process is kind of no longer printing documents and it can all be done via DocuSign. So, you know, I, I, we're seeing that it's making the whole loan process much quicker and, uh, you know, much easier for customers rather than meeting up, sending it in express post, et cetera. So um, I can definitely see that whole process, you know, being much faster. I once Absolutely. said on a property, um, you know, when I was a sales agent, somebody actually paid cash first time the only time my 20 years in property that I've actually come across an absolute proper cash buyer and we settled in six days it was uh, <laughs> so without all the mortgage documents and that whole process wow. that I, I guess that's sort of a, an indication I was some years back but um, an indication of taking the banks out of the equation um, mind you they would have had to pay the mortgage out of course of the vendor because I, I don't think very rarely do I come across a vendor that doesn't have a mortgage um, but all these things do That's actually one of the things you're right, actually, that does take some time because, you know, banks are in no rush to, you know, action a discharge form. And so, um, you know, sometimes sellers can ca- get themselves ca- caught out because, you know, they potentially be a bit, you know, lax on sending that discharge form and banks will take a couple of weeks to kind of action it sometimes. So that's definitely something that we see delay settlement where we're ready as a buyer, we're ready to go, but the seller hasn't, for example, forgotten to send a discharge form. How annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's right because it's, um, you know, we're ready to go. Everything says it's ready to go, for example, um, and, you know, the person's booked their removal list, et cetera, and then we find it falls over because the the seller hasn't done something. So you're right, it, it can definitely be. A huge pain. What are some of the? I noticed that when there was initially PEXA launched, that there were some teething issues that I guess came out. How are they sort of? You know, are they all kind of been sorted now. What, what are some of the issues that you found kind of going digital? 
Um, yeah, I guess most of the issues we're, we're really around building the network at a rate so that everybody that wanted to use the platform could. And I think what we really did, and I think probably a hallmark of our success has been bringing the industry together. So even though um, lawyers and conveyances, you know, often settled in paper, they had often never really met each other. Often they would outsource the actual settlement to settlement agents who would go meet mm, up in the yeah. settlement rooms. So we've done a lot of work yeah. in bringing the industry together. We even, and the banks as well, the major four banks have worked really closely together. It's not often that you see them in a room together sharing <laughs> their best practices around how they adopted PEXA into their organisations, how they got better and better, how they got more efficient. And we also brought the banks together with the lawyers and conveyances because, as you rightly mentioned before, Veronica, I think you mentioned you've heard that the banks cause the delays. Practitioners would say that banks will say the practitioners cause the delays. So getting them all together in groups in various states, we ran these industry forums, and best practice groups, where they could all talk about their you know, their issues or what they were seeing or what they wanted to see improved and really allowed the industry to actually solve those together because PEXA, we are in the middle as the facilitator of the, the transaction, but we recognise that we wanted the industry to come together and work out better ways of doing things, how we could get quicker, how we could ensure that people weren't waiting for another party to do their activity. So I think that's been how we sort of address those initial teething issues. And it's been wonderful to see. I've seen practitioners who've been settling deals together. I had an experience in South Australia at the end of last year where they'd been settling matters together for 20 years and lived in Adelaide and had never met each other face-to-face, -face, ended up meeting each other at a PEXA, you know, event, which I thought was quite ironic that a digital platform, you know, creating that connectedness <laughs> is really <laughs> nice That's to see. Definition of, of irony, that one. Yeah, um, I agree. But what happens though if someone's buying a property or selling a property and their lawyer doesn't use it but everybody else in the process is using it, the bank's using it, the other lawyer's using it, does that mean the whole thing falls over? They have to they have to go to paper? They would, yes. But often what we see is, which is really great, and particularly amongst the lawyer community, is that they will really try and encourage the other party to join the PEXA platform if they haven't already. And they will, you know, offer to help them through their first transaction. So it's been wonderful to see sort of the camaraderie that has ensued across the industry. But also it's important for probably your listeners to know that various states have also set what they call compliance dates where they are actually not accepting paper transactions any longer. So that is the case in New South Wales, Victoria, very recently in South Australia, actually from the 3rd of August, and Western wow. Australia are in those positions. So they are, you know, winding out and phasing out paper transactions in those states. That's quite interesting because I would imagine that if, if say, a lawyer that really doesn't do much property but, you know, might find themselves going, oh, yeah, I can do your conveyancing for their mate or whatever, as she starts the process and halfway through settlement period goes, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to get you another lawyer. I mean, I could imagine that happening because I know that I've dealt with a few over the years that, that absolutely have no idea about property, um, alarmingly so actually, but there just seems to be this thing that, oh, conveyancing is easy. Yeah, agree. And a real um, misconception, that's for sure. And I think, um, you know, as we touched on earlier, we'll probably see less and less of that over time. We have actually seen the emergence of um, almost like e-settlement agents. So there are firms that have set themselves up specifically to take work from other lawyers or oh, conveyance 
investors who don't want to do the property transaction and they can sort of, they have the initial consultation with their client, the buyer or seller, and then can pass the matter for the digital settlement to occur on PEXA via them. So that's an emergence of sort of a new law firm, if you like, that we've now seen in this digital era. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au because of online players and you know you know there's lots of people online saying you can do it all included for 990 etc and um you know conveyances are competing with these sort of cheaper players out there and um you know they want to they've got to run a profitable business etc so if you're saving them time doing a lot of the the back end sort of situation are you allowing them to kind of i guess run much more profitable businesses by reducing their time Definitely. Our, one of the biggest benefits we see is the time-saving aspect for lawyers and conveyances, and we really do hope that they spend that time-saving on interacting more with their clients because that, I think, yeah. is uh, the best way to try to have repeat business, building relationships with your clients, and also then working on the business rather than in the business is something that we definitely have seen happen as well. So. There is, um, you know, varying different price points when it comes to what people offer and it varies greatly by state and it varies by, you know, lawyers and conveyances. I think the best advice for your listeners is to do the research, you know, have a look at their uh, social media, look for Google reviews, I think is a great area. I think this, you know, the social media and digital environment means that we have plenty of access to information about the businesses that we, you know, that we choose to uh, engage with. Yeah, I mean, even just checking the contracts, I mean, I'm sure it's something for you, Veronica, you need to do it sort of fast sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can see a property this morning and, you know, you need to take action on it today almost. Um, and, you know, for conveyances bogged down in just trying to organise a few settlements, you know, are they going to really look at the contract, you know, in the enough detail? Do you find that, Veronica, is sometimes being an issue, just getting that speed? Uh, the, the actual issue is not so much people being tied up sort of doing settlements, but um, actually the, if they're using a lawyer that spends a bit of time in court, so if they're mm-hmm. in court, there's no way they can step out to look at a contract. So property specialists and um, conveyances who, uh, you know, really do focus on being available are fantastic. And even even on a Saturday, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like if you're buying property at auction and you've got a question, then and you can't get hold of your conveyance or your lawyer, then that sort of means you've got to go blind and you're buying something unconditionally as well. So, Or even the 66W, right? Just Well, you have to have that issued by the lawyer or the conveyancer in New South Wales, so that's just a New South Wales phenomena. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, if you want to buy a property prior to auction and it's competitive and you're given the opportunity to compete, for instance, and your lawyer is not, not available and you can't get them to look at the contract, advise you on the contract and then give you that certificate to waive the cooling off period, then, yeah, you're behind the eight ball. You're going to miss out on the property if there really is that other buyer there for sure. But I'm curious um, to think, Lisa, I mean, look, Monopoly is never really good for consumers and PEX is the only player in this space, right? So surely you would think competition is needed and somewhat inevitable, but it does also sound like the barrier to entry must be enormous. 
Um, look, we have always felt that competition would come in this space and for years we competed with paper-based processes. So competition, <laughs> and that's probably one of the most formidable competitors, I think, that we yeah, um, have dealt with, to be honest. So, Although you've got legislation saying you've got cutoff dates. So yeah, <laughs> in New South Wales, that won't, that won't be effective uh, as of what date? So that, those rules took a long time to come into place and they, yeah. the states yeah. only did that once they had confidence that the market had started to make the move, that the system was reliable and scalable. So, you know, from a competitor point of view, um, there is competition on the horizon in this space. I think um, looking at the barriers for entries is something that governments are doing also. And from a PEXA point of view, we welcome competition. We recognise that competition is good for us because it ensures that we're really focused on continuing to be better and better and to ensure that our platform is meeting the needs of our members. We know that competition is good for industry because people naturally want choice. Myself, anyone I do business with as well, you know, it's something that I always think of. But we also know that it should be good for buyers and sellers because it ensures that continuous innovation occurs in this space and that their values that pick the holds quite firmly. So we're very open and welcome competition that comes into this area. So just on that, I mean, what are some of the things that are on the kind of product roadmap to come? I mean, I was just downloaded the PEXA key app this mm-hmm. morning. I couldn't actually use it because I haven't, apparently I need to be invited to use it or something, um, you know, with the transaction. So, but I mean, what are some of the things you can see coming that are really going to change the game a little bit? Yeah, well, great to see, Chris, that you're already onto PEXA key because that is probably one of our most newest and exciting innovations that we have come up with this app for buyers and sellers to be able to use. Um, But really, PEXA is focused on now that we have everybody using the platform, we're really passionate and committed to receiving feedback from our members because, as I mentioned, we really are Mm. just the enabler and the facilitator of the transaction. So now that we've got so many people using the platform, the data that we can capture, we're really committed to ensuring that their experience is the best possible experience they can have. So we have many channels where our lawyers, conveyances and banks provide us with feedback. For example, last year we received 14,000 pieces of feedback from our network around things that they either you know, loved about the system or things that they wanted to see differently. Mm. And last year we implemented about 260-odd enhancements to the platform, which 88% of those came from feedback from our members. So the platform's going to continue to get better and better. Things that we're working on and something I know that the practitioners, the lawyers and conveyances are keen to see is what we call consider workflow. So how can we build in automation and smarts into the PEXA platform that take away some of the more administrative actions that lawyers and conveyances might need to do, you know, reduce the number of clicks that people do within the platform. So making it much more streamlined and looking for opportunities to automate things that, again, create more time efficiencies for our members. Now, just back to the the competition question for a minute. So I would presume... um, other entrants into the market are going to have to bring their own platforms, right? So what would, you know, what would happen if um, I'm buying a property and my lawyer is using PEXA and I'm buying it from somebody and, and the vendor's lawyer is using a different system ha- or the bank for that matter? I'm presuming the banks would then have to actually be able to use all systems. Um, how can that, you know, what would be the challenges there? How has that been, I guess, thought through? 
Mm -hmm. So this is something that the industry is currently looking at as we speak and PEXAIR is uh, heavily involved and it's what a term that is often used which is called interoperability. Mm -hmm. So how could multiple elements, and I think that's an important part of the equation, I think building a model that allows for not just two because a duopoly often is, you know, very similar to a monopoly. So allowing for multiple elements to be able to connect with one another and exchange data, that's the term that interoperability represents. So there's a number of industry participants, working groups that are occurring to work out. And it's not an easy scenario to think through when you think about the amount of Mm. connections, the integrations with land registry, state revenue office, the Reserve Bank of Australia, all the security aspects that the platform has and how you ensure also though that that interoperability doesn't stifle innovation. The last thing you want is to have, you know, that you have to meet the needs of the lowest common denominator when you connect different elnos. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a lot to work through. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't have the answer as to how that interoperability would yeah. work, but there are a number of industry experts that are looking at it at the moment. But it's certainly not something that you sort of try and shut the door on and say, well, not this is our. (laughs) No, not at all. We're active participants in and I myself have attended some groups as well. Um, Just recently there was a ministerial forum held in New South Wales a couple of months ago, which I attended, which really conveyed PEX's position around how supportive we are of competition and sharing what we need to, to make it happen. What sort of legend, what sort of laws have had to been changed to enable this? Because I think, one thing with COVID, for instance, you know, every time the either federal or state government comes out with some sort of initiative, um, there's all these laws that have to be changed in order to enable it. And I would imagine there's some, there's some legislation that's had to go in around this as well. Would that be fair to say? Yes, definitely. That was very early on part of the uh, the process that had to be undertaken. Each state had to make legislative changes to enable e-conveyancing, as they call it. So to enable the fact that a lawyer or conveyancer can digitally sign on behalf of the buyer or seller is a key part of this process. And legislations in each state had to be changed to make that occur. ACT, for example, the newest state to go live, just had that legislation passed earlier this year, which enables them to be able to go live, as we talked about in September this year. So yeah, a lot of work from a lot of people uh, within governments uh, to really make this come to life. And just on the um, the PEXA key sort of, can you kind of help out, you know, because I think a lot of our invest, like our listeners are investors or they're thinking about buying a home, et cetera, or they've gone through a, an awful settlement experience, whether the, you know, the broking experience wasn't great with the bank or the, you know, the conveyancing experience. What are some of the things that you think that PEXA key will really help sort of the buyer or the seller better understand or have more confidence around? Sure. So I guess there's really two sort of key elements that we're looking to address with PEXA key. So one is firstly around security. So I'm sure you would have heard that email phishing scams are very much targeting the property industry as a whole. So Mm. this is where communications, whether it be between a broker and their client, a real estate agent and their client, lawyers and conveyances, where bank account details are re-perpetrated and changed and then obviously scammers getting access to funds. So So we actually had that with one of our clients, Mm -hmm. Um, an absolute horrible story and it wasn't so, I mean, to, and it's actually really, it was a huge learning and of the risks of sort of cyber sort of um, attacks basically. Um, And, you know, it was a client who bought a, 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 basically a terrace worth of 
you know, two to $3 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they had to put in the shortfall, which was over $600,000. Yep. Um, and they were using a bank that didn't allow them to debit that shortfall out of a offset account. Um, mm-hmm. which all the banks are pretty much there now, but there was a few stragglers that are kind of now there. Um, and, you know, basically a couple of days before the settlement, you know, the uh, conveyancer had sent to the customer, um, do you want to send it, send the shortfall to my trust account? And what actually happened is, like you were talking about, um, someone was watching the conveyancer's mm-hmm. email, mm-hmm. just hiding in the background. And once that email got sent, they sent another email to it, to my client. Now, my client's you know, extremely busy, lots going on um, and, you know, he's done lots in property as well. So his confidence is kind of really high around these sort of things. Um, <laughs> and so he just took the the email from the conveyancer on face value and mm-hmm. basically trans, so that you've got two emails. The first one sent it to this account and then the other email said, no, don't send it to this account, send it to this account. And, and that's what was confusing for him. So he sent the money to the new account and basically someone would, had obviously sent that from the conveyancer's email and um, had deleted the email after they sent it. So the conveyancer had no idea this was happening. Um, and basically it was over $600,000 that went missing into a, a fraud, fraudulent account. Um, and it was a really horrible situation because the customer had sent that money from four different banks. Yeah. Um, so, and it was a, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a horrible, the outcome for the client is the settlement got delayed. Like mm-hmm. I think it was like, or four weeks um and it was one of those situations veronica where it was in between two houses and i had to go into short-term accommodation um and the money back did they get the money back they got it all back but it you know we had all the banks freezing the money and it was a you know we were calling heads of the banks to um get everyone involved and it was it was a quite a big case and some of the banks changed their policies after it but it was one of those things where uh, you just don't think those things can happen, but mm. when it happens, it's like wow. Um, and unfortunately, the customer got all their money back. But wow, I heard it recently. Actually, a buyer's agent—I think it was a buyer's agent. It might have been uh, anyway. Someone I know that basically has you know, a business where they invoice their clients. They'd sent out some invoices. Uh, there was a you know a fisher out there uh, looking at their emails. They'd picked up these email addresses and then sent a follow-up email basically saying, yes, you know, we've just changed our bank account. We just sent you these in- in- invoices. Please forward the money to this account instead. Busy yeah. clients, paid the money. Um, then the buyer's agent's starting to chase them and go, are you going to pay your bill? <laughs> you know, and it's like, I did. <laughs> I followed your instructions. Yeah. Um, never picked up the phone to go, oh, that's a bit odd that you would send a, di- a separate email. You know what I mean? We just sort of do things and then think afterwards. So, yeah, I think it's becoming more common by the sounds of it. Yeah, and I think you have to think uh, the property market and, you know, the asset class, more than $7 trillion in Australia, yeah. mm. it's a huge magnet for cyber criminals to be looking at. And as you touched on, you know, often things are happening quickly. People are short in time. I think the criminals yeah. are really preying on that and knowing that, you know, people aren't paying the attention to some of these, whether it's an email that comes through that they should so I guess um, what PEXA key is enabling is, and it often can be, it can be the, the um, surplus of funds, so also the proceeds of sale. When you're selling yeah. your property, if you don't have mm-hmm. a mortgage, there are huge amounts of money that are going to people's bank account yeah. details. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what PEXA key does, it gives the buyer or seller the ability to directly input their bank account details into the app. 
they confirm them. They're obviously the ones that know their details better than anyone else and also going to get the details right. And then those from the app. From- <laughs> well, it's on them if they don't. I think is that Correct. is that the inference there? Correct. Well, they would, it's the only one they're doing, you would imagine. And I know myself, even when I do internet banking, I always double check, triple check yeah. before you hit enter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what PixaKey does, it enables those bank account details to then be directly and securely put into the PEXA platform directly. So there's no hands on the keys. No one else has to touch them. They go straight in and the PEXA key app has a guarantee attached to it. We're so confident with the security that exists with that app that that is um, guaranteed to be secure. So that's really one of the huge benefits, the security aspect. And the other one really is just the transparency. So there is um, some information in the app that tells you about what to generally expect happens at settlement because a lot of people yeah. aren't aware. Mm, there are a few... Yeah. Um, checklists in there and there's a checklist for a buyer and a checklist for seller for things that you should be thinking about up and coming to settlement. Uh, obviously there's a countdown to the settlement date and time but then really the exciting one is that you get notified immediately once settlement has occurred. So yeah. and that's you know something that buyers and sellers from research that we've done have really wanted greater transparency around what's happening and when it occurs. It's also around getting the keys uh, and the actual physical house keys because that's the sort of this weird limbo land it settles the the chicks go out it's it's all done and then it's like well can I get my keys well no not until the order and the agent's been served mm-hmm. by the by a solicitor and so you're waiting 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 and quite often in the olden days you know when the solicitor would have to go to or the settlement uh, agent would go to the meeting to actually do the settlement they have to physically get back to the office in order to serve that that order mm-hmm. um and, you know, and particularly if you got your all your belongings in a truck, you know, waiting for that simultaneous settlement, you know, come on, you know, yeah. <laughs> give me my keys. It's a bit clunky. I'm um, I'm curious though. You know, you guys, how long how long's PEXA been around now? Must be about what four years or something. No, you'll be surprised to hear it'll be ten years in September, years. and that's from like inception around when the first idea, the first employee, so to speak, the CEO at the time was um on board. But there was, you know, a number of years where the technology was actually designed and built and tested before it actually got out into the hands. So it's probably been about four or five years that it's been actually in use. Yeah, I remember some lawyers that were some early adopters sort of coming into our offices and telling us all about it. They were all very excited, which is quite funny. But um, the the I'm interested, though, in the transaction data you must have now because – uh, you know, before, if you wanted to find out about actual transactions, you've got to go to land titles offices or you've got to go to, uh, which takes, there's a delay in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you'd have to go to individual banks and then, and then you're not getting a, a capture of, you know, a whole city or a state or whatever. So because mm. there's, there's been a lot of, you know, media around about list, low listings of late and I'm, I've been questioning the, the, I guess the validity of talking about listings because a lot of properties are transacting off market, for instance, and we don't know what that proportion is. But if we looked at transaction data, we looked at listings data, we actually have an accurate view then of how much property is being transacted off market. That's just one example of what you could do with the data. But is that sort of information now coming through or is that data now coming, you know, getting used by PEXA in any way? Mm. 
Yeah, we're certainly looking at it. And I guess it's become a lot more topical during COVID as everyone is sort of on a, a heightened sense of alert, wanting to know what's happening in the property market. Yeah. I think it's important. We do have 75% of the property, so we don't have necessarily the full picture. And often we do look to try to couple our data with external sources as well. And as you've touched upon, it's definitely clear that the number of listings are down. We're actually looking at that from our point of view. We can see that, you know, there's 50,000 less listings in the first half of 2020 compared to the average of the prior three years. So mm. that's something. But I think it also Is that varies. across Australia? Yes, correct. Right, yep. But it's also very different uh, state by state. And we've been looking at sort of uh, pre-COVID to what we're seeing now in the various different states. And it's obviously Victoria, as you would expect, we're definitely starting to see a softening in Victoria. However, Western Australia, for example, is definitely um, doing much better than it was uh, before COVID. So they've bounced hmm. back really well. And I think I heard an economist say the other day that, you know, the economy is following the virus at the moment. So, and I think that's definitely the same what we're seeing in data as well. But we're trying to use our data also to um, help other industry participants. So we are keen in sharing some of our insights with members with the land registries, for example, so that they can sort of manage their workforces and the flow of, you know, information that's coming to them as well. If we could get that data on the, the settlement day um, out there, um, even if it's aggregate data, it would definitely help um, people to have a much more finger on the pulse. Yeah, I agree. And that's something we're definitely keen to uh, work with, our, with the industry stakeholders as well around our data and how it can be shared more broadly also. I'd like to come back to you said that, you know, Australia-wide listings has been 50,000 down this year versus the average of the previous three years at the same period. Um, what about transactions? Now, I, I get that you obviously you're growing your platform so that the, the take-up of it will maybe distort that. But it does. Mm -hmm. if you've got 75% now being, you being, um, being on the platform, then – Oh, sorry, 75% of uh, settlements being done through the platform, and that's statistically significant, right? Mm -hmm. So how does the your data in terms of transactions compare with listings data? It, and, and I mean for this period rather than sort of looking back. Yeah, it is for, and you're very correct, that the growth that we're currently seeing in Queensland and South Australia does distort the numbers somewhat. But we are seeing a follow a similar pattern to listings at the moment when we look at transactions. So whilst there are a lot of um, off-market activities happening, we think from what we can see overwhelmingly, it is following the listing trend. But as I mentioned, some states doing much better than others and New South Wales even, given you know a huge uh, mm. amount of volume that happens there, is relatively stable. What we've seen now um, pre-COVID and post-COVID is definitely starting to stabilise in New South Wales. So I don't think there is as much doom and gloom in the property market than we often see in the headlines. I think the main thing and what we're also looking at is just the uncertainty of what's going to happen over the next few months when we start to see some of those fiscal stimulus start to be wound back and some of those mortgage holidays, et cetera, um, come to an end JobKeeper, all those elements, what sort of impact that's going to have. We haven't got any indicators within our platform that we can see any of that just yet. So have you got a um, property Dumbo for us, Lisa? A property Dumbo, yes. I think I've got two if I could. One oh, I yes. thought, <laughs> um, a very common one, and we did touch on it earlier, is just around 
people underestimating the need to get all of their affairs, their documents, all of the detail in order, because I think a delayed settlement, a lot of people don't understand that they could incur some significant costs in the magnitude of hundreds of thousands of dollars at times, depending on, Ooh. you know, the property value, the contract that you sign, penalty interest rates that could be incurred. There's lots of different scenarios that happen in different states. So I think being organised, using the right team of professionals is really important to work with. The communication element, really important to keep, whether it's your broker, your lawyer, your conveyancer, your bank, keeping them, you know, in the loop of what's happening on your end, paying attention to the detail. So as we talked about, whether they're digital versions of documents or paper, making sure that buyers and sellers are actually looking at those details, looking for any anomalies prior to settlement. Of course, settling on PEXA, if you have any opportunity to have influence <laughs> in that decision, is always going to uh, improve that process. But also yeah. playing nice with um, the other side of the transaction because you never know what you might need to ask for some sort of extension or what it might be. So I think that's a really common one. That is a good point. Something a little less um, common and more obscure and something that I hadn't really come across a great deal to working at PEXA is around title insurance. And the fact that a lot of people don't take it up and like many insurances, we, you know, often look at it, but, you know, sort of discount the need for it. But it, you can and really help you out in some really costly scenarios. So what file insurance is, it basically guards the buyer against any loss that they could incur due to the title or property defects that might occur. And normally they're pre-existing and not often known by the buyer at the time of purchase. And I am aware of an example that happened uh, in Victoria in Ringwood where a particular buyer purchased a property. It was about 30 years old at the time of purchase, mm. situated on a, a sloping block. The house looked to be in really good condition um, and it had been previously renovated about 15 or 20 years prior to the purchaser buying it. Then they'd been in that home for about seven years and decided that they wanted to do some renovations themselves. So they approached the council getting yep. new renovations. And then when the council came out to have a look at that, they observed that previous works had been carried out to the property, which had not had approval. And yep. they actually um, created a subfloor area, excavated under the house and removed stumps, <laughs> oh. created habitable no. rooms in this space and storerooms. Yeah, and the council then issued a you know a notice that said that the buyers had to actually demolish or rectify those unapproved works. Yep. You know, cutting a long story short, it was about two hundred and seventy thousand dollars worth of you know works wow. loss in value that occurred. And this particular instance, they did have a title insurance premium, which cost them four hundred dollars. So that's not a small amount, I guess, when you're thinking about it. But when something goes wrong, that's obviously when those types of insurances really come into place. And something that I must admit I didn't even know about existed so it's good to actually for buyers to talk about that with their lawyer or conveyancer it's a really good idea actually we should actually do an episode on it so you've uh, given us a mm. uh, a new topic which is great um and i know I some experts heard... in the space so i can uh, put you in touch with some if oh, you like please do. Mm -hmm. yeah. please do yeah this would be a really good topic yeah yeah and the first one you're right i think um you know just getting all your documents and just taking it quite serious um, and, and working with your broker and your conveyancer and just staying on the ball. Um, yeah, because, you know, sometimes you might want to bring the settlement forward or you might, you know, just just stay on the ball with it because, you know, those six weeks do fly by um, and, you know, the whole process becomes much more stressful very fast if something's not going right. So, um, yeah, we've seen that quite a few times where, you know, potentially the clients are just, oh, it's all right, we've got six weeks, and then all of a sudden it's eight mm. days before the 
settlement and then they have a work trip um, that you know, <laughs> comes out of the blue and they tell us or they go on holidays and they don't tell their, anyone about it. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's sometimes that six weeks is very stressful for all the parties involved by just not being on top of your paperwork. Yeah, I agree. I heard a quote once around, you know, risk really is just a measurement of knowledge. And I think that really resonated with me in regards to buyers and sellers, just being aware of what's happening and where you can actually have an influence to ensure the best outcome. (laughs) That's actually really interesting, I'm saying, because, you know, that you don't know what you don't know Mm. and that therein lies the risk so much in property. Yeah. Mm Thank you so much, Lisa. That was a very interesting and informative uh, chat and we wanted to sort of, yeah, dig a little deeper into actually what happens in this space because, as I said, at the, at the header, uh, at the outset, you know, God, as an agent, as a sales agent, I had bugger all idea. You know, it's only really been recent years that I've even got a glimpse of it and obviously as a mortgage broker, you'd have more of an insight into what goes on in settlement, uh, Chris, but I think most buyers have got no idea. So thank you so much for sharing your insights today. Thanks for coming on. No, thank you both. My pleasure. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... Let's pick up on that uh, conversation around title insurance and the sorts of things that title insurance might protect you from. Uh, Lisa gave the example of somebody who bought a property that had had unauthorised works done by the previous owners. And in off-air, you and I were talking about boundary issues, right? So... There are certain things that if they're in a contract, they actually give you some level of confidence that you will not have those issues. But obviously, title insurance is is, is protecting you from the great unknown. But these are things that we do look for in contracts. And they are also things that we see people aren't so bothered about when it's a hot market. And when the market slows down, oh, they're very bothered about. So, for instance, an occupation certificate. So if you're buying a property that's been renovated at some point or it's been built from scratch, you'd want to see that it has an occupation certificate in the contract. Now, a lot don't. And then that's always a question I would ask. I would say, you know, why isn't it there? Where is it? And often the vendors have to go scrabbling for it or they might have to go to council and get the thing issued in the, you know, issued or go to a private certifier. Yeah. But without it, there's no actual assurance or and even then it's not a guarantee of, of everything, by the way, but without it, there's nothing to reassure me that those that property's been built according to what's been approved by council. Um, and then... Also, you could have a building in, uh, sorry, a, a building certificate, which is another document that councils can um, or can be ordered from councils, and that basically says that oh look, council says everything on there's fine, and you know you got sort of like a seven year guarantee. I think it is that um, you know they won't, the council can't come along and ask you to remove anything. So there are things that can be requested and asked for. Having said that, sometimes with an occupation certificate, for instance, could be issued and then works be done afterwards. So it looks like mm. it's all been done according to what's been approved, but subsequent to that stuff's been done and you haven't realised. And another thing too is that um, 
unless there's a survey in the contract, you don't really have any real confidence that the boundary is exactly where the fences are, for instance. You just make this assumption and you'll have a floor plan that the agent may have done, but that's no guarantee that that's the boundary. (laughs) And I hear you laughing in the background there, Chris. Um, The sewer diagram, some people look at that and think that's where the boundary is. They might look at the deposited plan and think that's where the boundary is. But the reality is that the the best thing to, to give you certainty of where the boundary is, is a survey, but also whether or not your buildings or fences are encroaching on the neighbours or whether theirs are encroaching on yours. So there are additional things that you can request. Now, if they don't have them, they're at cost. Uh, It could be your cost or the vendor's cost. And and once again, going back to if it's a hot market or a slow market, if it's hot market, the vendor's going to say, bugger off, you want that, you pay for it. If it's a slow market, the vendor may be struggling to sell the property and you say, you know what, I'm not going to buy it unless there's a survey. So your competitive or your ability, I guess, to request these uh, these documents to give you more certainty throughout the negotiation process really does depend on the market conditions. But you should definitely be aware that there are extra things that you can ask for. Um, another thing I, I would look at too is that when a property has been renovated, extensively renovated, mm. if you can get hold of the plans that were approved from council and, you know, you can go back into archives. Now that's going to take you 21 days if it has to go to archives, but sometimes depending on how long online. they keep, yeah, they keep some stuff online. Now that's been up to five years and, and in some cases I've actually seen it for longer than five years. So that information mm. may be available online. You can actually download the plans and compare it to what, you know, the floor plan is that you're buying and think, oh, hang on a minute, there's a bathroom there that wasn't there in the approved plans. So there mm-hmm. are there are some ways that you can actually um, get a hint of that. And a good building inspector will also be able to suggest to you, look, I'm not sure this is to code. That's an interesting one you said about online. I mean, I've seen that before where um, let's say it's a row of terraces or cottages or something like that. And, you know, it's a two bed and you want to renovate it to a three bed, then the neighbours done it, and so you can kind of go online and see their plans and what they've done, and yeah, you know, there's there's lots you can just by searching and playing around with sort of the council portal um, with neighbouring properties is another good little tip to to see what's possible. Be careful though, because development, um, uh, what they call local environment plans and development control plans, can change. So yes. if the neighbour got it imp- approved, you know, ten years ago, you m- it's not an automatic assumption that you would also get the same thing approved. Oh, hundred percent. I think the um, why I laughed around floor plans is, um, you know, I don't know actually the legality of it all with if they can do it, but um, you know, for example, a client bought a property just this morning. Um, and the property went live on the weekend and there was 50 people through this property. Um, and he went there. They, they were trying to buy a pre-market last week. And um, the agent said, no, we've got to do an open because they want to see how the market's sort of um, going to take the property and how hot it's going to be. Um, and they went to the start of the open and all the way to the end of the open. So they saw everyone arrive and everyone leave. And it was interesting. I chatted him yesterday and said, oh, yeah, what's your thoughts? And he said, well, most people walked out quite disappointed because the agent said it was a four bed um, and it wasn't a four bed. It's, it's a three bed plus like a dungeon. Um, <laughs> and um, there's an, it says three bathrooms, but that's not a bathroom that you'd want to use. Um, and he just said, and then also that, you know, the, I mean, not in that scenario, but he said, you know, the floor plan kind of, you know, people expect one thing and then they go and they see another thing. So um, I think this is just the, 
a thing with those floor plans that can be super deceiving. And I don't know whether the measurements are always right. Um, no, they're not. And so, you know, I think you've got to take your own tape measure. You, you might look like a bit of an idiot sometimes kind of tape measuring things and <laughs> people people think you're doing the couch and the bed and things like that. But just just check the room is as big as they think um, on the floor plan. Very because true. I've, definitely, I've definitely seen it um, being substantially off. And if you were thinking it's a three by three and it's a, it's a two by two, 2.2 meters by three meters. Well, that changes that room dynamic completely. It's no longer a double room. And um, yeah, so just be careful. I would say a couple of things there. First of all, don't take out your tape measure during an open house. It just encourages other buyers to get excited. Um, you know, do it in a private inspection. Private inspection, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, other thing <laughs> I, the other thing I would say is, um, you know, measure your own stride. Because my stride is pretty much bang on a meter, and that is very useful. I don't have to take out my tape measure. Um, and and the other thing too is after- have you measured that again in the recent years, or have you, <laughs> <laughs> you might be walking shorter nowadays? I've, I've been I've been I've been practicing my stride, um, <laughs> keeping it stride fit. The and look, the other thing too is that absolutely right. Those dimensions are not necessarily reliable, and you know you can see and it, I see this quite a lot with apartments, for instance, because you see apartments you know generally have the same footprint um in, in one building that is and so you can look at it when you're doing a price comparison and, and look at the different floor plans done by different agents and the different d- dimensions on exactly the same size rooms so <laughs> it's very unreliable Please join us for our next episode. We've got one of our exciting and very, very fascinating deep dives into data with Dr. Nicola Powell from Domain. We are going to understand from the data scientist's point of view why microdata is really important, i.e. local, on-the-ground knowledge, as well as macro, and she explains very well why those two elements or two pieces of information are very important to property buyers. We're also talking a lot about the uh, search data and the interest in regional areas. And ever heard of the term high-intent buyers? Well, we hadn't heard of it, but now we have. We know what it is, and you should tune in and find out. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. If you're a first home buyer and you don't want to miss a step with this most important purchase, join me on Wednesday nights at 7.30pm Sydney time on the Home Buyer Academy Facebook page for live Q&A. Check out the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. Every month, my team hosts a webinar on what we are seeing in the banks, the best rates, changing policy and their service. We also share the latest insights we hear and read that are impacting the property market direction. Check out wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.